0: Good morning, my friends, and happy Father's Day to you. I hope uh, that you all have power in your home. The rumor is that, uh, Ellie, do you not have power in your home? You look pretty well put together for someone who got ready with a flashlight, right? Um, I pray pray you get some AC and stuff quick there. Um, I want to invite you to gather around the Word of God. We're studying uh, the Gospel of Matthew. And last week we saw the authority of Jesus on display if, you're, if you were here last week or if you are familiar with the story, uh, you will recall that as, that as Jesus comes down after delivering the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus performs a lot of miracles, he heals all kind of uh, people with physical ailments all over the world. Uh, he casts out demons and uh, those who torment. And and the height of Jesus' authority was on display last week as, as Jesus was proclaiming that he had the authority to forgive sins Uh, Which, by the way, is a very clear claim that that Jesus is God, right? And if you remember from last week, there were these Jewish scribes that were present in the home there where where Jesus was healing that paralytic and claiming to have the authority to forgive sins. And, And those scribes, when they heard Jesus say that he could forgive sins, they thought that Jesus was blasphemous, And there was this sort of conflict that kind of existed between Jesus and these scribes. And eventually Jesus has to say, uh, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven, or to tell a paralyzed man to get up and walk. And Jesus heals the the paralyzed man uh, to display that he has the authority to forgive sins. Um, This conflict that Jesus had with the religious leaders, it's really a, a theme that we see in Matthew's gospel: Jesus having conflicts with religious leaders. And, and today we're going to see two more conflicts between Jesus and, and, and religious leaders who have a problem with kind of the way that Jesus lives his life and his value system and his structure. And I think it's, it's kind of human nature to try to make Jesus the champion of our own values, right? I think we do that. There are all kinds of people who, who don't love God's Word, but they think they'd really get along with Jesus, Right? I think there's all kinds of people who assume that Jesus would, if he, was, if he was here, he would parrot the ideas of their party or their denomination. But if they met the true Jesus, I believe that they would find themselves shocked by the way that Jesus led his life and by the, even the company that Jesus would keep and by the gospel that he would proclaim. And, and that's really the story that we find in Scripture today. So I want to read together with you today from Matthew 9, 9 through 17. If you are capable, I want to invite you to stand in reverence of the Word of God read. And before we read from Scripture here, let's take a moment and, and pray for the Holy Spirit to, to guide us as we read this morning. Um, Father, we do thank you for... The revealed word of God, we thank you that you uh, inspired Matthew to write this by your Holy Spirit and uh, to tell the narrative of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, I ask that you would inspire our hearts by the same Holy Spirit as we read this morning, that our hearts would be quickened and that we would be both convicted and inspired. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Hear now the word of the Lord. And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew... Sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well. Have no need of of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a, old piece or a piece of unshrunken cloth and an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put in old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, so both are preserved." Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And as we read, the Lord brought his storms upon us. Glad we are inside. You know, this this is just enough rain to empty out half the sanctuary. Um, But let me simplify uh, what we read today. Uh, First, the first thing we have there in the first verse is the calling of Matthew. Then we have a dinner party where there's going to be two different religious groups come to confront Jesus because they don't agree with something that they see in him. So let's first start by exploring the calling of Matthew. Look at verse 9 with me. We'll put it on the screens. It says, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and Matthew rose and followed him Here's what's interesting about this, like, verse. Matthew's, if you think about it, he's describing his own calling. He's the author of this book, and he's describing the greatest moment in his life. And and he does so in only two brief sentences. I, I don't know if this is, like, humility or what, uh, but if I asked you to tell me the story of, of when Jesus called you to follow him, I bet you would need more than two sentences to do so. Uh, Jesus passed by, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at a tax booth, and he said, Come and follow me. And he rose and followed him, and that's it. It's so short. But if we were to read in between the lines just a little bit, right, if we were to see what the Gospel of Mark adds to the story, I want, I want to grab some perspective there. So I'm going to put up here Mark 2, 13 and 14. It's going to parallel, parallel that. Here's what it says. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him. So he's, he's amongst the crowd, and, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me, and he rose and he followed him. Uh, Mark refers to Matthew as Levi, which was probably Matthew's birth name. Okay, Matthew's probably born Levi, but somewhere along the lines began to be known as Matthew, which means Yahweh's gift or something like that. Uh, but the detail that I want to show you in Mark's gospel is this this is what I want you to pay attention to. As Jesus is coming up to the town and he's passing Matthew's tax booth, he's surrounded by A great crowd. The streets are full. And and as he walks, as Jesus walks and this crowd surrounds him, he's teaching the crowd. And and everyone there seems to be paying attention to Jesus. If you remember kind of the context, he's leaving the house where he's healed this paralyzed man, and he's just claimed to have authority to forgive sins and demonstrated that authority through his healing. And and so the crowd as we left off from that last story was really enamored with Jesus. They're all transfixed on Jesus. But there's one man who's not paying any attention to Jesus at all. Matthew. Matthew is not paying any attention to Jesus. He's he's in his tax booth. He's probably counting up all the money that he's extorted from people who are walking in that crowd. Matthew's rich, Matthew is almost surely corrupt. I mean, really, all tax collectors of the day were just chronically corrupt. Time is money for Matthew. No time for Jesus. He worshiped the almighty dollar. And and the crowd that surrounded Jesus would have hated Matthew. That's what you need to know. Uh, It's not an overstatement at all to say that tax collectors were the most hated men in the Hebrew society. You see, Matthew was was a Jew who had sold out to the Romans in order to extort his own people. So he he was seen as a betrayer. And, And here's what's striking about this passage. While the crowd is razor-focused on every word of Jesus, Matthew could care less about Jesus. The crowd was, was doing what they could to follow Jesus, and Matthew could care less. However, Jesus passes by everyone in the crowd, and he goes to the one guy who's looking the other way. And he says to him, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew gets up from his tax booth, and he leaves it all behind and he follows Jesus. And what I need you to see is that the call of Jesus is completely sovereign. And another way to say that is that the call of Jesus is it's completely irresistible. It doesn't matter if you're interested in Jesus or if you're looking at Jesus or if you want Jesus or if you're staring at a pile of money instead. When Jesus calls, you follow him. No one who has ever been called by Jesus did not follow Everyone Jesus calls follows him. And and, and if we look here, we see that the call of Jesus, it's completely targeted. The call of Jesus isn't just thrown out randomly into the crowd. The call of Jesus is specific. It's targeted. And Jesus specifically selects Matthew. And it's not because Matthew is a good person. It's it's really not. Here's the point. If, If you're like me, and you have people in your life who you love, maybe your family, maybe your college roommate, maybe somebody who's really important to you, and they're not looking at Jesus at all. If you have members of your family who are, who, who are not looking to Jesus, they're, they're, maybe they're even worshiping something else in their life. The call of Matthew should give us hope. Because we see that, that when Jesus calls, it doesn't matter what you were doing beforehand. It doesn't matter what you wanted. Matthew's gospel tells us that he got up. And he followed Jesus. And, and I don't know about you, but like I, I pray every day that that same call would come to members of my family who are looking the other way. And despite their, their previous interest in Jesus, that they will follow Jesus when he calls. Because I know that they will. Because the call of Jesus is irresistible. Do you see the hope that comes in the call of Matthew. So so Matthew follows Jesus. He leaves everything behind. He leaves the money, the tax booth, and everything. And look what happens next. We'll look at verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So so many many scholars actually believe that all of this is happening in Matthew's home, right? I think you can imagine this could be Matthew's friend group. Jesus comes, and he calls him, and he says, follow me, and he does, and the next thing you know, Matthew is in his home hosting a banquet where he's invited all the other dregs of society to be there with him, all the tax collectors, all the sinners, all the outcasts. They've all been excited, are invited to come and meet this man who called Matthew when he was looking the other way and not even interested in Jesus. And, and I think it's really important to say that Jesus doesn't go hesitantly to this group. It's not like, oh, man, I've got myself in a bad situation. What am I doing here? You know, th- this, is, this is part of God's sovereign plan. Jesus is, is pleased to be there. He's comfortable being around this group of sinners because, well, these are people that he can help. I don't know how the Pharisees found out about this dinner party But apparently they did. They they find out that Jesus is over there and and he's at Matthew's house with a bunch of sinners. And look what happens, verse 11. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with the tax collectors and sinners? You see, last week the people who were bringing complaints were the scribes, a different group of religious leaders. who who were in confrontation with Jesus about his authority or claims of authority to forgive sin. Now this week it's the Pharisees. And the problem that the Pharisees had is who Jesus chooses to associate with. And these Pharisees don't come directly to Jesus, do they? They they instead go to his disciples and they kind of complain to his disciples about Jesus. Why Why does your teacher eat with these sinners and i I think you can kind of imagine in your mind how that conversation might have went with these pharisees and the disciples of jesus something like are you sure you want to follow a teacher who hangs out with people like this Why, why would you follow a man who runs around with scum and jesus he overhears the conversation and he, and he responds kind of like he always does with this great elegance. Look, look at verses 12 and 13, see how Jesus responds. But when Jesus heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And then he says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners, Let's take that in pieces, all right? Let's, let's take his response. Here's, first, Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You really, I think what I've heard in the past, I've heard people talk about Jesus with sinners, and, and they use it as a way to affirm some lifestyle of sin, right? Like, like. I can live this way because Jesus loves sinners. And, and, and I think you, you, you learn from this verse that that's not the case. Uh, because uh, Jesus is not affirming the lifestyles. He's, he's saying that, that these people are sinners and, and they're sick. And that they, in fact, he, he refers to himself as the great physician who can heal the sickness that these people carry around. Jesus came to save these sinners really from themselves. I mean, I think you can imagine, if, if, if you would, like a, a medic in the war who won't go out into the field in order to save the men who've been shot up. He's afraid of the bullets or something like that. He simply stays where the healthy people are, and, and it doesn't make any sense for him to be a medic and not be helping the people that are, that are sick. And I think that the reason Jesus is with sinners at this table is because the very purpose of his life is to save sinners. But he isn't suggesting that the the Pharisees are sinless, no. The difference between the sinners at the table and the Pharisees seems to be that the sinners at the table are aware that they are sinners. And the Pharisees don't think that they are sick. So they don't think they have any need of the great physician, Jesus. Some of you here this morning might think that you're not sick. You might think that you don't have sin in your life. If that's the case, you will never truly turn to Jesus. The truth is, if these Pharisees, I mean, if they were really the shepherds of God's people that they claimed to be, why had they never before been meeting with these tax collectors and sinners? Look again at verse 13. This is what Jesus says to them. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is quoting uh, the, to the Pharisees from the prophet Hosea, and he tells them, go and learn what the prophet meant. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The reason Jesus told them to go and learn what Hosea meant is because the Pharisees were all concerned about the sacrificial system, but they had no mercy for the sinners and the outcast, they saw Jesus at this dinner party, and they thought these people were making Jesus somehow unclean. And, 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 I, and I think a great image for us to remember is that, that image when, when the leper came to meet Jesus at the bottom after he delivered the Sermon on the mountain, and they kind of meet there together, and, and everyone's afraid that the leper is going to make Jesus unclean, but Jesus reaches down and he touches the man with, 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 who has leprosy. And instead of Jesus becoming unclean, he makes the leper clean. Finally, Jesus is going to tell these Pharisees, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I I don't know about you, but for me, that, that phrase is good news. To know that Jesus did not come for the righteous, but to come for sinners like me. Jesus walked through the crowd to call a sinner like Matthew. He walked through the crowd to call a sinner like me. And, and, and I believe that he, he walked through the crowd to call a sinner like you. And that's my hope for you. And I, I have people in my family who are sinners. And my hope is that one day Jesus will call them also. And they, they're not hopeless just because they're disinterested. You see, the call of Jesus is irresistible. So last week, Jesus interacted with the scribes over his claims to have authority to forgive sins. This week, he's interacting with the Pharisees because he eats with sinners at Matthew's house. But there's one more encounter to come in today's reading. Apparently, the, the scene doesn't even change, right? Just They're still sitting there reclining at table at Matthew's house. Uh, besides... The tax collectors and the sinners, another religious group comes to Jesus to ask questions. Look at verse 14 and see this third religious group. Verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And and I think, like you, I, I'm prone to give the disciples of John a greater benefit of the doubt. I, I do think their question is honest. I think they were really confused about rules of fasting. We, we fast, we, we see the Pharisees fast, but why don't you and the disciples fast? We just, we don't get it. And so I, I think Jesus' response to them is pretty kind. Look what Jesus says to them. It's verse 15. Jesus says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will Fast. Uh, if that, that phrase bridegroom is confusing to you, it just means groom. Back then it, it was, you know, it means the, the, the man in the wedding, the, the, the groom. And there's this idea that, that, that if you were to attend a wedding in that culture, in that, in, in that time, Second Temple Judaism, it would have been considered rude for you to fast. So if you come to my wedding, I've invited you to my wedding, hey, come to my wedding and you show up and you go, I'm fasting, that would have been considered rude. I don't know if you know this, Uh, if you're sitting at the table with the groom and he's so happy and this is the biggest celebration of his life and the family has gone to all this trouble to host like this seven day extravagant meal and you sit there and you refuse to join the celebration and you refuse to eat, it would have been culturally rude in Israel. Like don't come to my wedding and not celebrate with us. Likewise, the, the Bible is like—it's full of this language where it repetitively calls Jesus the groom, and it, re- it repetitively calls His people His bride, and and John the Baptist. these are his disciples that are there. And and if you were to go back and read John 3, there's even this scenario where um, the disciples of John the Baptist are kind of getting jealous of the ministry of Jesus. And they come to complain to John the Baptist like, hey, he's baptizing and people are going to him. And what does John the Baptist tell his own disciples? But yes, that's the bridegroom. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. All I am is just happy for him. And he says this, remember this, he says. Jesus must increase and I must decrease. And so when, when John's disciples are asking Jesus, why don't you fast like we do? There's a sense in which you think you should know better. John the Baptist already told you what happened, you know. But, but the response of Jesus is basically this. Like you guys are not reading the room. You're not, you're not reading the signs of the time Jesus is God incarnate. He's the great bridegroom who has come to be with his people. It's time for celebration. It's not time for fasting. And and Jesus says, listen, the the, the time will come when when the bridegroom will be taken away. And in that that time, yes, there will be fasting. But now it's time for you to pull up a seat at the banquet. It's time to celebrate that Jesus has come to save sinners. And that's worth celebrating. At the heart of all these questions seems to be this deeper question. What people seem to be trying to ask all these religious groups is, what is true religion? Or, or, or how do we understand what's, what's happening, Jesus? How, how do we make sense of you? And how do we fit you into our understanding of Judaism? Like, How do we, how do we make all this fit? You know, Jesus is here. He's claiming to have the ability to forgive sins. He's eating with sinners. He's not fasting. So how do we square all of these different ideas? Look at the last two verses this morning. Jesus is still speaking to John's disciples. Verse 16 and 17, he says this. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins are going to burst, and the wine is spilled, and, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins so that both are preserved. All right, so, so we have two illustrations to try to, uh, to look at today. They both try to answer this question, how does Jesus fit with the existing religious ideas? The first illustration is about sewing. It's pretty simple. Everyone knows that if you try to patch an old garment with a new piece of cloth and that patch that you use on the old garment is not pre-shrunk, what's going to happen is that as as you wash that garment, that that new cloth patch that you use is going to shrink up. And as it shrinks up, it's going to tear apart the garment that it was sewed to and it's going to destroy that garment. And the, the point of the illustration is that the new patch is not compatible with the old garment. Likewise, there's a second illustration. It's one of, of wine and wineskins. And, and back in these days, you would store wine, which I think is kind of gross, inside the hide of an animal. You would, you would remove the hair, and what you do is you'd sew up the edges, maybe turn it inside out. I don't quite understand it. I do find it not the most sanitary way to store wine, but what do I know, Right? And as, as long as you had wine inside of that, you'd sew up the edges, you'd tie off the top, and you'd pour out of the top when you wanted to have some. And then as long as there was wine in there, the, the wineskin stayed hydrated, and it stayed pliable. There's something about having the wine in there. But if you emptied that skin, the wineskin would get all dried up, and it would form cracks. And if you went to reuse an old wineskin, and you put new wine in there, it would just burst out from those cracks. and would just burst the old wineskin skin. And and here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying in the same way that that, that a new cloth patch is incompatible with an old garment and new wine is incompatible with an old wineskin, Jesus himself is not going to be ever compatible with the traditions of Judaism, with, with, with the traditions of Second Temple Judaism that they have constructed. Jesus is the true revelation of God. And Jesus, he's teaching on inner inner holiness. He's teaching on repentance. And and the Judaism of the time, the ones that the Pharisees are bringing, is about this whitewashed, exterior, hypocritical set of traditions. And Jesus will never fit into the rituals of the Pharisees. If you were to try to put Jesus into these systems, he's going to destroy them the way new wine destroys an old wineskin. He's going to burst them wide open. So um, what conclusions can we make from today's reading? First, I'll say this, that as we watch Jesus call Matthew from the tax booth, we are reminded that the call of Jesus is sovereign. And it doesn't matter whether we're looking for him or not. He will call us to himself, all of those whose names are written in the book of life. And he will do so for his own good pleasure and his call it's irresistible, even for a sinner like Matthew or a sinner like you. Today's text reminds us that, that, that Jesus is a friend of sinners, that he has come not to call the righteous, but he has come to call sinners to repentance, which is good news if you are a sinner, but it is bad news if you are too self-righteous to recognize that you are a sinner. Those who think they are well Find no use for the great physician. Ultimately, what we find here is that Jesus reminds all those who question him that he desires mercy and not sacrifice, and that he will never, ever, ever be compatible with the false religion of men. You know, for years, people have been trying to add Jesus to their religion. The Romans tried to add Jesus to their pantheon of gods. The Jews in our story were trying to figure out how to add Jesus to the, to the Talmud and the Mishnah, all these rules that they had made up, these extra biblical list of rules and regulations. And Jesus tells us that he is fundamentally incompatible with human religions, despite the fact that the countless religions keep trying to use Jesus to patch the holes in their torn garments. I mean, think about it. How many false religions claim Jesus? You know that, that, that Islam teaches that Jesus is a messenger of God? That the Baha'i teaches that Jesus is a manifestation of God? Even all these secular humanists today hold to this idea that Jesus was a great teacher. Whatever religious system you try to put Jesus in, he will ultimately destroy it and burst it like new wine in old wineskins. Jesus has come to usher in his kingdom. He calls us to acknowledge our sins, to repent, and to follow him. And today in the midst of the thunder and the rain, we say thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, we thank you uh, for the great King of Kings, Christ our Lord, who doesn't fit into any old system or any new system, that we are called to repent and to acknowledge his lordship and to follow him as the truest understanding of you, Lord. Uh, Thank you be uh, to to God for his son, Christ Jesus. May you bring repentance this morning. And the church said, amen.